follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I am Shad, here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are you doing? i uh, doing good, Shad. I'm doing good as well. I am glad to hear it. I hope everybody out there listening to us is also doing well. We are going to go ahead and get our shoutouts taken care of right here at the beginning, like we always do. First one's going to go to Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand. Collar and Elbow brand.com. Use the promo code Four Corners Podcast. That's the number four. Capital C and Corners, Capital P and Podcast to save 10% off your order. Our other shout-out, um, my other shout-out, is I'm going to ask if he, if you can find it in your heart to help the folks in East Kentucky, please make your donations to Apple Shop, A-P-P-A-L-S-H-O-P.org, because there are folks there that need it. Um, you know, it's it's the 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 recovery effort lasted, you know, maybe a month and then everybody picked up and went to Florida. So <clears throat> there are a bunch of people that could still use your help that are not still having things not taken care of. Um, and you know, frankly aren't getting much in the way of insurance payouts for it either. So if you'd be so inclined to help them, um, that would be a, a great kindness to some folks that could really use it with those shout outs out of the way. We're going to pass the ball over to Matt. Uh, our last shout out would be to Orlando Cologne. Uh, you know, Shad, Mm-hmm. If I was running a certain type of game, a very deadly game, a deadly and game, I, and I needed to no, not, <laughs> not the WWE pay per view. Yeah. Uh, if I were running a certain type of game and I needed a squadron, yeah, I can know of no other person to head that squadron than Orlando Cologne. Oh, okay, that sounds like a segue, Matt. I won't even do like an impression of William Regal doing. Okay, <laughs> I won't even say that because this. <laughs> This was so much superior than anything we saw we've seen in the WWE. Yeah, yeah. in terms this of is, like the type of match. This, this is, is like uh, where this is like areas WWE has like rarely tread. How can yeah. I? I'm gonna say this and hopefully I won't sound snotty and pretentious saying it, but this is like <clears throat> Aristotle's like form the the thing that everything every other War Games is patterned after this mm-hmm. one. Because Basically. this is the ideal war games. Now, yeah, we're getting into WrestleMania ninety two. Not the first. Not the first war games. No, no this is like this is. There's been many a war game before this. Yeah, I would argue <laughs> though this is probably the best one. I would argue. I would argue. We can get into it a little bit later, but I would say this has a legitimate argument to being the best WCW match of all time. I, yes. It's arguable. 
I, I'm not entirely sure I would rate it number one, but it would be like it's top, top five. five. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's top five. And I would say it's only like it's it only be Eclipse because like there are some like flare matches probably that are like when you, maybe better. But I think when you take in like the booking decisions and like some of the technical executions they did in this match, it has some arguments from like a, just from like the technical <laughs> nuts and bolts of the match. Like, because I think, I think for me, like from start to finish, this is the most perfect match of all time because they got everything right. Like you cannot point to one thing in this match that they got wrong. They, the booking on this, on this show, which is now like almost 31 years old mm-hmm. is so, well, I, okay. Okay. I, I need to dial that back. Not show in general, but this match, the war games yeah. match, the final, like we, we can, we'll get into it talking about it specifically, but the booking on this, the main event, the war games match is comp- so tight. It's so, it's basically perfect. Even the, Every- even the order they release the guys into the match is perfect. Yeah. So it was Brad and I were talking just a little bit before we got started, but um, <clears throat> the Brad's statement about, you know, not uh, this potentially being the top WCW match is not something to be taken lightly. Mm. That's, it's not a frivolous claim. And we recognize that and there's like some serious, like this, we're not being we're not hyperbolizing is the word I'm looking for. Like it's seriously that. But we've got to get there. Yeah. And I was going to say the other thing that really accentuates this is I don't like whoever like set this show up. Use the match that came before this to get your whistle like ready for just wanton violence in the ring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But let's uh, let's let's uh, let's kick this off. So we are where, where are we at for this? Jacksonville, are we in Jack? Yeah, Jacksonville, Florida. Jacksonville, Florida. Jacksonville. Ash, uh, Ash Williams' uh, dream destination. Yep. So, um, this is in May. So we've. Been, this is, I think. I think it's been about a month and a half since, like, timeline-wise, since we've seen a show. So there's been yeah. some gaps in there. Um, we're gonna. Th- it's actually gonna be interesting because I think over like between now and like July of '92, we're gonna have like four things. Okay. So there is a bit of a gap here. So, um, so we're gonna kick this off with our, our with our favorite tag team, um, <laughs> the fabulous Freebirds versus Terry uh, Taylor and um, Greg Valentine. Uh, you should. I... You shouldn't call them the fabulous freebirds. They're just the freebirds. Yeah, they're which just I think the freebirds. It's an important distinction because the fabulous freebirds uh, were Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy, and uh, was, who was the other guy? Buddy Roberts, right? Yeah. Yeah, and they were awesome. They were in world class. Like they, they were fantastic. This is not them. This no. is Michael P.S. Hayes and Jimmy Jam Garvin uh, as basically the WCW version of the of the freebirds. And guys, they were like totally washed at this point yeah like i and i also don't think that either guy was even like an active wrestler much longer than this no i don't think so i keep expecting them to be gone and they keep showing up on these shows (laughs) and honestly greg valentine is like two steps above washed at this point 
I, I feel like that's a little unfair though, because he really was. This was not a good match to put Greg Valentine in. Like this was. This did not suit him at all as a wrestler. This was not a match that. What's the the phrase I'm looking for? This was not a match that uh, Taylor or Valentine really. I'm not obviously didn't benefit from, but they it, there was so much that like really didn't fit for them because you've got these two guys are the U.S. tag team champions, and they just get stooged the entire match basically. There's a little bit where they're putting heat on the Freebirds. Um, and incidentally, we've got the free bird, the face free birds working as heels, but it's like the dynamic in this is entirely wrong. The free birds are faces. They're working as heels. Um, the, uh, between Taylor and Valentine, they're doing the whole face and, you know, they're, they're getting rocked around and stuff. Jimmy Jam Garvin is supposed to be face in peril, but if you notice he never goes to in peril. No. I don't think he takes more than one move before he answers back with something. Like somebody hits him with something, and then he immediately has an answer, a drop kick or a back elbow or a, a clothesline or something. Like he doesn't stay down for more than a bump because he's going to get his shit in. Um, and it really hurt this match that it's so long, and you never think for one second that Taylor and Valentine are going to win. No. Never. How long was it, Brad? This says it was 16 minutes and two seconds. And you Which feel was every at, moment. Yeah, at least 10 minutes too long. Oh, this was like 15 <laughs> minutes and like two <laughs> seconds too long. <laughs> I, I I didn't like this match. I guess I didn't hate it, but it's only like this seemed more like this would be like a main event for like the WCW main event show, like one of like the weekend shows that that. They did like an they would do like an hour and it was that hour would be they, like they did a two out of three falls match the next episode of Saturday night after the one we watched. Yeah, because as we saw like uh, from like a, a class show we did not that long ago, like when they revamped WWE Saturday Night, they had they were doing that gimmick throughout '92 where it's like okay we're gonna have a two out of three falls match like every show, and that I felt that actually led to some like some good matchups but i don't know if i cared for it overall but i would not have wanted two out of three falls for this or this no. matchup and why why are you paying probably you're paying greg valentine a decent amount of money why why are you wasting him like this well this was coming not that long after the whole like rhythm and blues uh thing he did with honky talk man yeah right before he was uh -huh. out the door in wwf <laughs> Wow. Okay. It just you've got Greg Valentine is the kind of kind of guy that unfortunately it it feels to me like he works a little bit too old school from the stuff I watch. But you know, he's the kind of guy who looks like he ought to be, you know, just pummeling you to death. And he just gets kicked around the entire match. And I think if you Harry Taylor is I think you're not into it. I think if you would have done something like Big Josh for Greg Valentine, you would have gotten something good. Yeah. I'm not saying that Valentine's bad, but I'm saying this is this is a bad fit. And this was – whether or not it was intended – if it was intended to be, then it was intended to be. But if it wasn't intended to be, then the Freebirds made this into 
basically an extended squash. Yeah. <clears throat> and you should not have that in in title matches, in my opinion. Nope. So this is this is a less than stellar start. <laughs> I mean, were we at the point where like the WCW United States Tag Team Championship? It's like who gave a shit about that? <laughs> I think it's about done by it, the summer. Th- I mean, you might know more about that championship, Brad. Like, I, I think that it was probably more of a big deal back in the 80s when it's like a lot of different uh, promotions or regional territories that comprise the NWA, which then, of course, became WCW. But it's like the lineage of that title may have like been important at one point but it's like we were way past that it was I just think, like a, i think i think it, it showed up in 87 they had the national tag titles when they merged with georgia that um Ole and arn had for like forever and then the steiners were the u.s tag champs and then they won the world tag team championships and then i think they were dormant for like six months to maybe a year and then they brought them back for like a year and they were gone again mm-hmm so okay looking at the looking at the lineage because i think um i think todd champion and firebreaker chip had them before this uh it would not surprise me so they had them at some point and they lot look looks like they lost it to the the young pistols <laughs> um who lost it then to big josh and ron simmons what? Interesting. Uh, who then lost it to Terry Taylor, Greg Valentine. They, of course, lost it to the Freebirds here. And then looks like the last champions were Dick Slater and the Barbarian. Wow. Yeah, so they're uh, gone then, by June. Yeah, then the, the titles became defunct, deactivated. I might have to look that match up just to see Barbarian beat the shit out of Jimmy Garvin. <laughs> You know, they, I guess they weren't as successful as I kind of hazily remember them being because I kind of got, got into wrestling like mid-1992 in WCW. So it's just like kind of past their period. But do you guys remember like the tag team that they did with Dick Slater and, and Dick Murdoch? Um, that's been a tag team here and there. I don't. Um, how long did they team for? Uh, I don't know. Like not super long maybe like a few months god dick murdoch Probably hadn't no more. been old as shit by then <laughs> but they were a tag team and they were called the hardliners and i just i mean i, I had to look at some of their matches to see if this like holds up but i just remember them going in there and just being a shit at it like jobbers and I, I think they like were beating the hell out of like the young pistols too but it, i thought they were awesome because it's like that's the kind of like tag team i wanted back then like i i didn't even know like a lot of wrestling but i liked i like them because it's like okay it's like big tough dudes going in there and like beating the shit out of people yeah but unfortunately we didn't get that here (laughs) (laughs) uh what's that take us to on the next one brad hey he did hold the tag team championship with bunkhouse buck Dick Slater, he did. Yeah, and huh. I hate that run because the first couple of times, like I was watching that because I, I wasn't watching '95, like I had to look stuff up because he looks like Terry Funk in that run. Mm. <laughs> okay. Well, he like that's kind of his thing though. He kind of like does like he's very heavily influenced by Terry Funk. 
Mm-hmm. So up next we that's had. The, oh, well, that's all the thing, right? Like Dick Slater is supposed to be like a Terry Funk uh, fanboy. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so up next we have Tracy Smothers or Johnny B. Bad. I didn't. I actually I liked this match. Um, it was fine. I liked. What I liked is this this kind of seemed like this was Johnny B. Bad kind of coming into his own and proving that he could hold up his end of a good match. Um, and Tracy Smothers did fine, too. But it's a uh, why is this on pay-per-view match? Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it's one thing to be like, OK, this is like filler. But not even like this. This advances no storylines. That's something yeah. that WCW back in the day would like do a lot of. It's like here's two random guys, like we're gonna, and that's fine. But it's like oh, they're gonna be on pay per view. It's like no, you can just you could have this match on WCW Saturday night, and no yeah. one's gonna complain about that. But if you expected me to pay money for this, like no. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> yeah, this is this is not one that needed that. But... This would have been a fine TV match. It's kind oh, yeah. of a, not a good pay per view match. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, up next, we have Marcus Alexander, Bagwell versus Scotty Flamingo. In another one of these matches where it's like, well, this was fine, but why is this on pay-per-view? Mm-hmm. Was this was this Scotty Flamingo Ravens um, debut for WCW? Um, I think he'd been doing like the weekend shows and stuff. I know he, he beats Tillman for the light heavyweight belt. Beach Blast, I think. Okay. Because watching this, to me, this just this looked a lot like a like a basic rookie match. And I'm not saying they did badly, but it was uncomplicated. It was pretty straightforward. There was nothing fancy to it. Um, Flamingo actually put over Bagwell a lot, even though he got the win. So uh, even even this early on, dude knew what he was doing, um, and and you know he wasn't he didn't bury Bagwell to do it, which is something that I appreciate. But uh, still, you know, I, what what but, are we doing? I think I, this shouldn't have been on pay per view, but I will say, um, if if I was booking shows in this era, I think I would actually hire Bagwell as like a lower card guy that gets wins here and there because he's not um for his experience level and everything he's not bad he's not bad and you know he's got the <clears throat> as as the term is he's got the blowjob draw yeah and, he, um, and like he's like he he wor- he seems like i feel like in this 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 version of bagwell i would feel comfortable putting him in there with about anyone I think he'd probably get over pretty decent. Like, he he's fine. Yeah, he's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, unremarkable, and I, but fine. I, and I know that's going to sound backhand complimenty, but no, he's, he's for his experience level, he is perfectly acceptable. And I think if you were running a promotion, he would be an easy yes for, like, your low car, like, your... Working second or third from the bottom, he'd be fine. Yeah, absolutely. And he'd be happy with him there. And, yeah, he'd be a good person to have there. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, there's not a whole lot to say about this one. It no. it, it happens. It was fine. Yeah, that's, it's, a, it's the, fine. Th- that's the problem with this match and the last match is they were they were a hundred percent adequate but unmemorable and nothing to comment about because they were adequately adequate. Like that's mm, that's yeah. you run into that when something's run of the mill. It's it's fine. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it being fine. But there's nothing to say about it. Yeah. No, we do okay, so next up we have um Ron Simmons versus uh Mr. Hughes with Cactus Jack. So that's that's not what it, it, it started out billed as. It was going to be Cactus Jack and Hughes versus Ron Simmons and Junkyard Dog. And I know we kind of batted this back and forth uh, a little bit. And Brad, I think, what was it you were saying about JYD? I can't believe they were trying to use JYD unironically when they had him from like 1988 to 1990. And he was beyond washed at that point. So my takeaway is this was actually a really good way to use him here because wasn't in the match <laughs> yeah yeah it, well he you know they come out and then cactus pitches him off of the side of the ramp and then drops the you know the cactus elbow the concrete elbow and then the like jyd is selling so hard that they you know they take him out he's gone and so, you know, you look and you're like, hey, JYD made Cactus Jack look like a killer here. And you know what? Cool. Um, I'm, you know, that that was getting a good use out of him because if nothing else, you still had this spot where you look at JYD as okay, maybe maybe he can't go the same way anymore, but he's still a tough guy. And Cactus wiped him out. This so Yeah, and, and this served as the vehicle that it needed to. This you know, people talked like they weren't setting Ron Simmons up for the world title in ninety two mm-hmm. when they talk about it now. And and having just watched this the way we have, like that's you're full of shit if you say that. Like yeah. they have been setting him up like, I don't think they – I think it might have taken Bill Watts coming in to do it. But they have obviously been setting him up since the first Luger match. Mm-hmm. When when did Watts come in in the timeline? He's possibly there now. I was going to say, like, because I almost would be one of those people, Brad, just because, like, to me, it's like you should have by now strapped, strapped a rocket to – like Ron Simmons ass like Ron Simmons mm. to me the more we've seen this old footage like to me it's like he was actually like such the perfect baby face for you he was like he was a good enough worker I actually say that he was a pretty good worker at that point he certainly could be like worst case scenario you didn't think he was like the best worker it's like he was certainly good enough to carry the title and your company and could certainly be carried to like great matches i mean luger was basically like doing the carry uh at halloween havoc 91 but it's like he wasn't doing too much like simmons was holding his own in terms of like his work rate ability and I mean, he this... had so much charisma yeah 
and he could talk. It's like this guy was like the total package. No offense to Lex Luger, no pun intended. The, the <laughs> crowd, the crowd's obviously into him. But I mean, when people say they weren't building him, like no, I mean, I don't know if that was the end game, but he was getting billed as like a top, as like is like a top face. Yeah. And this is like this match. This match purely exists to make him look like Billy Badass. Yeah. No, he was he was clearly like being given a lot. So it's clearly like they were seeing like something important for him. Uh, I don't know if like world title, but they, they they certainly were positioning him as like a, a main a top level face. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just I don't know. Maybe it's like years and years of like WWE booking that when it's like okay, he's facing Mr. Hughes here. It potentially was a tag team with JYD. It's like oh, okay, he's getting the the slide you back down the card treatment. Uh, so I was kind of like, uh, but I mean, what can you see? Like he he was pushed the world title. It's just like they didn't do as a lot with him once he got the world title. Yeah, like they didn't do as much as they should have. And again, it astounds me that like WCW and WWE. Like neither one, like they both dropped the ball on Ron Simmons. Like WCW less so because he actually they've been they put the title on him. But it's like you could have had him be like a main, like really pushed him as like a main guy, and neither neither company really did. But see, I don't think I don't think this match the way they did this is a booking atrocity, because you know you have your big build. Like you don't want to take away from like your probably main match because that's where the bulk of your build went. So it's like. Well, let's just let's just carve let's just carve like eight minutes out for him. Let's put him in there with someone that really doesn't matter, and let's just let him run wild on like a show people are pay, be, paying for, and just make him look like a monster. Like I think that's mm. perfectly a fine thing to do with your your second or third face. It's funny because yeah. they do this with Hughes, who, like you said, doesn't matter, but. Cactus seems to exist in this odd, like, quantum space or, like, Schrodinger's wrestler where he doesn't matter unless he does because they <laughs> they seem to present him that he loses, but he's still super dangerous, well, and you can't take him lightly. He's, um... So he's, he's an interesting case because his character is kind of actually complicated. Yeah. Because he's kind of an incompetent buffoon, but he's also an extremely dangerous incompetent buffoon because he gives no fucks. Right. As, as a kid, getting into wrestling, and specifically WCW 92 wrestling and then onward, I completely bought into the kayfabe of Cactus Jack. I totally thought, like, this dude is, like, crazy. Like, he's he's dangerous because he is, like, psychotic. I totally bought into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he comes off that way. And what we have here at the end of this match is that Ron Simmons wipes out um, uh, Curtis Hughes, and he wipes out Cactus too. Mm-hmm. Well, he wipes out Cactus, then he takes out Hughes. Um, the thing that the one thing that bugged me here, like Ventura on commentary, is he's kind of he's kind of kicked up a gear. He doesn't need to be. No, Ventura was night. annoying on this show. Until the main. And the only time he really bothered me, though, was on the finish for this one because they're doing this thing and, and Simmons is going ballistic and he wipes out Cactus. And he lines – I don't remember what he hit Hughes with, but he hits him with something. Then he lines up the three-point stance and clips him with it. 
the exact same way everybody who does a three-point stance does it, and then Ventura just loses his mind. Or I thought three-point stance, is that how they taught him at the University of Florida to play lineman? Ross, is that what it was? And it's like, dude, he hit him low. I mean, it's, it's everybody does that in wrestling. What are you, what are you on about here? Yeah, and, he pissed me off during the Pillman match. He was low-key burying Pillman in the the light heavyweight yeah. match, and it pissed me off. Yeah, he kind of was. Uh, if I could take a step back, uh, yeah. please continue in a minute, Chad. I, the reason yeah. I asked about uh, when Watts came in is because I actually was listening to an old show we did, like the Kamala show that we did. Kamala. Uh, yeah, Kamala. The, the, like a couple of years ago. But point is, like I was listening to that, and there was a brief discussion about Bill Watts, and that just lined up with the fact that I was watching this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of like connected some dots and I'm like, oh, that maybe that's why they put the title on Simmons when they did okay. because Watts was coming in and it's like Watts for all like the stories of him being uh, poor with racial relations. I'll just say that mm-hmm. like he put the title on the African-American guy and was pushing him. And he had a history of doing that, too. Well, if yeah. you if you listen to him talk about it, he talks about how. You know, black athletes are successful in all the other sports, and it makes wrestling look really out really, of touch. Yeah, really out of touch mm-hmm. when they don't. But you also have to realize too, is he was in like Louisiana and Mississippi, and a lot of those companies like Memphis and even WCW for forever had like large black fan bases, and they would just ignore them or actively resist them, or you know try to get rid of them and like. WCW's case and you know Watts actually embraced his fan base yeah and he was like oh like um you know a large portion of my fan base is black I should try to um give them people they can identify with yeah I should yeah and it worked really well and like you know he had a history of doing it and then he did it with uh you know, we did it with Simmons, too. I, I know Foley directly credits Watts with it um, in his first book. He's like, no, that was that was Bill Watts that did that. But I also think I also think, though, if you weren't a fucking knucklehead and you come in outside that hierarchy and you sit and you watch a couple shows, I think if I came in and I'm watching this and I'm like, why the fuck isn't doesn't he have a belt? Yeah. Like after like the third show. And I think it, I think they're doing a pretty good job. With a, the word I'm looking for here is kind of a slow build. It's a, they're keeping him in the fans' uh, memory. They're keeping him looking strong, even though he just, you know, lost that bout to Luger. So he's not getting buried. He's, he's. He's not really getting rehabbed either, but he's being maintained well. This is how I book guys when I fantasy book. If I don't have anything for a guy to do for like my top, like my top four faces, mm-hmm. if if I don't have a plan for the guy for like a couple months, I just run them through a string of like matches where they're just killing guys. Sure. Because then when it rolls around, you know, you get through your feuds, you need the next title challenger. They're sitting there like just fresh off of a trail of bodies and ripping and ready to go. 
Like you don't you don't do what like WWE does. Like, well, we don't have any plans for them, so that just let's bury them and like do dumb shit with them for six months. Like, oh, we need them again. Like, why aren't they over? Yeah. It's like when you're like for me, like when I fantasy book, if I'm actually not using a topish guy, like or have plans for them in the immediate future, I actually keep them stronger than guys I'm I have in like <laughs> programs. Yeah. <clears throat> so um let me see that i think we can take that on to the next match right yeah so this is oh. i have things about this one so this next one is todd champion versus the super invader which is obviously hercules hernandez so i i guess super invader was the intent to um play into big van vader like play them together i mean the invader thing is kind of a trope from yeah and so i guess that's what they're doing but well i don't understand like hercules hernandez is a name he was just in wwe like why are you hiding the fact that it's him i don't know the i think for me, the most egregious thing about it is the fact that um, his gear looks like crap. It looks thrown together. Well, and that weird arm thing he had that was obviously uncomfortable because he was messing with it the whole match. Yeah, and he had it on his dominant arm. Yeah. And And he clearly didn't like it. Yeah, but it... It looks he's, like they got to the show and they realized they were going to use him, but didn't want to like him to be Hercules Hernandez. And I'm like, okay, guys, like we need a gimmick, like empty your bags out. So he's, uh, yeah, absolutely. Cause he's he is billed as being from Bangkok, but he's wearing a Rising Sun headband that's folded over. So well, I mean, I, I'm, Shad, about, I'm 100% sure that that came out of Ricky Steamboat's bag, and Ricky's just like, here, take it. I, that's I think that's some good old fashioned like racism there. <laughs> That's 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 Chinese, ain't it? Yeah, like that's I think I think say. I think that's um, some good old fashioned um, <laughs> ignorant racism there. Yeah. Which a funny and, funny fact, it reminds me of King of the Hill when like they introduce Khan. And, oh um, yeah. They have Cotton are Hill you come Chinese in. Chinese or Japanese? But the, I'm Laotian. I come from Laos. So are you Chinese or Japanese? The best part of that though is like. Um, when he meets Cotton, they're like they're all freaking out because he hates Japanese, and Dale's like he's Japanese, and Cotton's like no he ain't, like mm-hmm. he's Laotian, and Cod's like what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so they've got this thrown together looking gimmick, which I know made it to pay per view. Like from the first stint of me trying to watch wrestling before Mom shut it down. I know that there was like a big multi-man match that had Vader and Super Invader on the same team, but I don't know why. And here's the thing. Did Hercules Hernandez throw a lot of open hand overhead chops as part of his Hercules gimmick? No, he did no. like forearms and like punches. So here he is being like, oh, I'm supposed to be doing this eastern wrestler gimmick so i'm a um i'm a do karate looking chops yeah and they don't look good 
and he just there it, it it almost like it doesn't because he doesn't do the kicks but it reminds me of that one guy that the first time he picked up playing pro wrestling on the NES pick uh Ken Corn Karn and just keeps hitting the the B button cuz he does that advancing chop the entire time like he's got a stretch of like 4 minutes where all he does is chop on Todd Champion yeah and this I'm, I don't understand I don't understand um Hell, this is on the same card with Fujinami and Iazuka, where this is played like as a total like out of touch Asian stereotype, and mm-hmm. then they play the actual Japanese wrestlers a hundred percent straight, like legitimate yeah. athletes, no stereotype. Even Ross on commentaries just like treating them straight. I don't know how this exists in the same show. They probably tried to hide it from them as much as possible, if I was going to guess. Well, I don't. Actually, Ross and Ventura were very not cartoony about it. I think Ross was kind of rolling his eyes. Yeah. Yeah. But this is this is, I think, what Shad's talking about, though. Those vets that want to work lazy matches because this. Oh, God, this. Yeah, it, it is super lazy. It is. It, Super boring. I think it was it was weird because Hercules actually kind of came in hot, and then it just mm-hmm. kind of died. Mm-hmm. Like the first minute and a half, I thought was decent, and then it's they a... were like, "Oh shit, we have another like four minutes to fill." The old running gag of it's like, "All right, we're gonna start off slow and taper off from there." Yeah. It's like you sure did. Oh yeah. Um. God. And yeah, it's it's boring. It's not fun to watch. The crowd's getting pissed off at it because it's boring. Yeah. Like and you can Brad, you can hear the audible. Fr- this is when those vets like wax poetic about ye olden days. Like watch this match. The crowd is visible, like audibly getting annoyed at it. Yeah, yeah, they are upset. And you know, you hear a lot of muttering. That's and that's that's the worst thing. Because if you're hearing muttering, they're talking about something else. They are not happy with this. You know, you're sitting there having this match, and then you don't hear them cheering or anything. You hear, and that's people going, you think line to the bathroom's long right now? I can get some nachos while I'm up there. You want nachos? I'm thinking about getting some nachos. And, and it's like, are they moving yet? Like, do you think they're going to yeah. move? How how much longer do you think this crap's going to go? Because I really got to take a leak. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's what this what it ended up being. And you're not wrong about vets waxing poetic about you know all them old time matches and that's it's like no do you watch the baseball game last night yeah (laughs) the vets that wax poetic for it's like no 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 we just need to take it slow and work it that way and the people love it it's like no no they don't like they didn't love this in 1992 they're not gonna love it in in you know 2023 you you need to get way the hell over that but they don't no. They never do. Cause I forget who it was. Someone was working mat work on this, and I really wanted to point out, like, this is how you do it. I don't remember who it was. I don't know. It was Big Josh and Ricky Morton. Not that that match was great, but there was one match. Yeah, I think it was Ricky Morton and Big Josh. Because, like, um, there was struggle, like, there was yelling... Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. You know, he was cranking on the arm. Yeah. 
that's I mean, that's the next match. We can go ahead and roll yeah. into it. Um, and they call him Richard Morton, but he's like totally back in the rock and roll gear. Yeah, I know. And he comes out and it's again, this match is good. He's in Smoky Mountain by August, by the way. Yeah, they, I mean, this match oh. is good. Uh-huh. This it's it's fine. But to me, when I watch this, I'm like, it was so clearly like a one guy's leaving the territory match. Because, yeah, it, it, it felt like that. I, I took it as um, Josh, Big Josh has been losing on big shows a lot. And so we need to, uh, you know, we need to, like, give him some wins on a big stage so people aren't totally checked out on him. Um. But, you know, it's 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 they they have a really good, really even match. They don't they're not lazy about when they're putting stuff on. They're not lazy about hitting the holds. Yeah, because like there's like world is 280 pounds. There's yelling like um, like when when Morton's doing stuff like he's always kind of like working the hand over or like kind of jockeying the position around like this is how you do mat work. Yeah. You keep the visual moving. You, there's mm-hmm. a struggle like you. Ugh. Yeah. Do not uh, do not do not kill this by by you know laying down and dying yeah. on it. Um. But then you know here we go and we've got this and like I said it's good. They bill Ricky Morton as what two thirty and then they bill Big Josh as two eighty and it's like I no. Don't he do has this, baby. guys. Yeah, remember they did that with Tommy Rich where he had like 40 pounds on Tommy Rich and they were the exact same size? Yeah. That, yeah. They're and they're billing, doing it again. They're billing him as like 275. It's like he is not 275. No. No. But. He is, he is. If you were saying 240, you're exaggerating his weight by 20 pounds. But like he is not 275. No. Uh-uh. But they do a good job. And Big Josh finally gets a win. I still don't know why that's his finish. People. Yeah, I don't get it. Because he's Big Josh. He weighs 275 pounds. <laughs> he's a lumberjack gimmick. Have him do a flying axe handle. It's in the name. Or like a lariat. Something. So this is so let's just say this is the end of the the boring crap and we get into the good stuff. Mm. I'm going to turn my page here real quick. Yeah, so so everyone, this is balls to the walls awesome from here to the end. Well, it's ramping up to it. Yeah. Well, this, the I mean, next one, yeah. This was good, but I'm not going to say it was balls to the wall awesome. <laughs> the match uh, listing for this show overall is 10 matches. That includes like a dark match that they, they did. So excluding the dark match, then the last three matches are like awesome. Yeah. But that's like. 33% of the show, 66% of the show is crap. Yeah. yeah. It's skippable. It, like, some some was kind of crap. Some was just like, I'm not really sure why this is on pay-per-view. Uh-huh. This is better as like a, just a TV match. Yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. The last yeah. three matches redeem things and then some. Yeah. It ends on a very high note. Hmm. Yes, it does. So now this is, this is, Brian Pillman defending the light heavyweight belt against Tom Zink. Um, now, Ventura really pissed me off in this match. On the top of a night where he's been annoying me. 
So um, he gets really obsessed with like Brian Pillman's like football career. Yeah. And he's kind of like low key burying him for his size. And it's like, oh, my God, dumbass. This is a light heavyweight match. Like you're doing the absolute like worst fucking thing you could possibly be doing for this. Match. Yeah. He's going off yeah. and like, oh, Brian Pillman's not a, not a nose tackle size. That's Rod Simmons. It's like, OK. OK, Jesse. Yeah. Yeah. Do I don't you... I don't really care. And why are but... you stuck on this point? Like, this is like, and the, the problem is, like, you're probably thinking, like, well, that can't be that bad. This is like a three-minute conversation with him. Yeah. 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 It does it not end. It just keeps going. It just keeps going. And, like, Ross keeps trying to end it, and he keeps, like, dragging it out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, was it just me, or did it seem like Pillman was kind of working heel in this? He, he did. He did seem like he was working heel. Like, yeah. not fully on heel. Yeah. Because uh, that would come a, a little bit later, but... He was feeding... He, did, yeah. he was feeding Zink comebacks. Yeah. Okay, yeah. It, it was just... It was odd to um, to see that, because I was like, I thought Pillman was still very much in his... Uh, so, you know... I was thinking during this, is, um, is Pillman our MVP as far as, like, in-ring... On this this watch project, um, because he's had the Armstrong match, he's had the Liger match, um, he's had this match. There's another one he had that was pretty good that I don't remember. I the Ricky the Ricky Morton match from like the the Halloween Havoc I think was pretty decent. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Because I'm not sure if we had other people that had a match every show like he did. Like, there are some folks who were on the show and doing storyline stuff, but I don't remember if they were – if they had a match, if there was somebody else that had a match every show. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think we've had guys that have had close to matches every show, but, like, the top guys aren't necessarily on everything. Like, I think Sting's had – matches on most of the shows yeah i don't know it's he's definitely putting it in so it's it's but it's hard for me to it's tough because you have him like steamboat stuff has been good like the steiners have mostly had good stuff Mm -hmm. um there's been a lot of good stuff on this but i mean and i mean then you have abby who's been the most entertaining character through the, (laughs) the early stuff yeah. <clears throat> he just seems so happy with what he's doing. He, he Abby shows up with that big grin. He's like, I'm going to hit him with a thing. Yeah. The, I mean, this was this was good. This was I would have to say the last two shows we've done have had the two best like Tom Zink matches I've ever seen. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know which I liked better, this or the Austin match for Zink. I uh, I messaged you guys. It's like it, this is this Tom Sink's best match ever. Mm. Like I and it's this or the Austin match from that Saturday yeah. night. I I personally feel like I like this one better. Is, I wouldn't, this is actually legit, I wouldn't argue like, with legit you. a good match. Oh, it is. It's yeah. It's very good. Mm. And it gets the crowd into it, which I'm I kind of surprised me because I wouldn't have thought Zink would have been that. They kind of worked the crowd into it though. Yeah. This was pretty evenly paced too. Yeah. I, one, uh, 
my wife liked it because it's like two guys. She's like, oh, it's not, it's refreshing. It's, it's obviously it's an old show, but it's like, oh, it's refreshing to see two guys like just not covered with tattoos, like and, mm. <laughs> and satanic yeah, gear. Like, that's that's a fair fair argument. Yeah. Uh, this is an example. This match and the next two matches is an example of why I I personally feel that Jim Ross is the best announcer, but pre like WWE. F WWE Jim Ross like Jim Ross was like amazing it's like Jim he could he could kick a show up because he would get so excited about certain things and his like delivery of of his commentary was like amazing mm-hmm. <clears throat> I um just just watching this it Ross is doing a really good job giving credit to everybody and there are um, you know some announcers that they they don't build anybody up and then some announcers that cut their legs out from under them but Ross yeah, is really sure good about this match <laughs> yeah but Ross is really good about building up everybody and I appreciate that because there's not enough announcers that do that yeah you know now do we do we want to get into uh, do we now get it in? dials up in a big way. Okay, so now we have the Steiner brothers defending the tag titles against um, Tatsumi Fujinami and Taya Yuki Iazuka, and oh my God, this was this was quite the sight to behold. Uh, in a good way, because I except. I think, Except for the part where Scott Steiner damn near kills himself doing a backflip fallaway slam. It, it's um, a, in a rare instance, I think Fujinami was actually giving it to the Steiners worse than they were giving it to him. <laughs> he starts laying it in, and I think I saw Rick pick it, pick up the hits he started putting out there. Because they they busted Iazuki's nose hard way. Yeah. And now the one thing I did like on commentary, Ventura did get his act together. I liked how they didn't necessarily know much about Iazuki, but they're like, oh, man, this kid's just taking a fucking beating and coming back for more. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I messaged you guys at, at the end of this. It's like this was just – they just – the signers just fucking mauled Iazuki. <laughs> like they just yeah. beat the shit out of him. Like Oh, relentlessly. Oh, yeah. And, and, I mean like hard. It's like this this was intense. Yeah. It, I, I think I sent Brad a message that said, these are the Steiners in full caveman mode. Because <laughs> yes. they're just, the bombs start flying. Um, you get into late match, and it is it is the Steiner bomb fest. Stuff is flying every Stuff and people are flying everywhere. The thing that flipped me out watching this match, the, the there was one spot that blew my mind. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, I think Fujinami had Rick up on his shoulders. Like, they're going to do a doomsday device. Mm-hmm. And here comes Izake with the, to do the lariat. Rick catches him and does a belly-to-belly suplex from Fujinami's shoulders to the mat. And I was blown away by this. It, amazing. Yeah. And that's not even the genetic freak of the of the team. Right. <laughs> you know, but... He did that, and I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Did that really happen? Yup, there it is. I Bigger mean, than anything. Scott was doing the 450 in the 80s. I mean, landed on his head half the time, but... <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I, 
believe he did this he did this in this match like early on like scott was doing moonsault fall away slams yeah yes to I, both guys and it's like how is that even like a move you it, the level of strength you have to have to pick a dude up and then do a, basically a backflip with them in your arms I, yeah I actually watched a shoot interview with Two Cold Scorpio about who invented the 450, and he said, like, well, like, I talked with Scott about this, and Scott's like, I'm going to give you credit because I fucked it up every time I did it, so. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Uh, This was just – I don't want to call – so what what, what really made this memorable, though – is it kind of had a bit of that Hanson and Andre flair to it where there was this, like, it obviously was professional the whole way through, but there was this hint of, like, cooperation and that things were kind of going awry that really added to the... Oh, there was a couple times here I always felt like Fushinami was was coming in because it's like, okay, i got to give this guy of a reprieve. Because the, the Steiner's just, like, just... Like I said, mauling him. There's like two bears in there, just like just smacking the shit out of this guy, roughing him up, meeting Azuka. And like they could give it to Fujinami too. It's just after a while, it seemed like they were like, okay, yeah, I guess we should sell a little bit for Fujinami. I mean, well, yeah. I think I think Fujinami was like Fujinami's stuff looked like he wasn't holding back. No. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, sh- I've seen Fujinami before, and he is like. Fujinami is a guy you do not want to um, screw with. Yeah. He was throwing them into, you know, he was hitting in uh, not so much um, overhand punches, but, I mean, he he just started throwing, like, straight hands, I think. And it's like, whenever you see that happen, someone who's usually throwing, like, looping hands or big overhand ones, and then all of a sudden they just start throwing straight shots, they're like, no. No, now now things are very different. But oh, uh, this this was this was this was good. Yes, it was, and the crowd got fired up for oh, this. After after Steiner like hit that doomsday device, like the crowd was all in, and they never lost them. Yeah. Oh my God. It was huge. And like this is how you so like the Iazuki thing. I want note bookers to take notice, especially WWE. This is how you have a guy lose and you make him look like he has the biggest balls in the world. Oh, that he gets he gets wrecked, but gets up and keeps coming back for more. Yep. And the announcers are selling like like, oh, this kid's just this kid just is taking like won't stop. Yeah. He just keeps coming back. Yeah. You know, he's not going to win, but he ain't laying down for nothing. Yeah, so now now it is time for the main event. Before we get there, I guess yeah. they basically they snuck in essentially like a New Japan, uh, almost like style. a G1, yeah, strong style, but almost like a G1 tag league type of match in here. Like they, this was really like this was an IWGP match. Yeah, that somehow got snuck into a WCW pay per view. The thing that out of this that um, I also really like is the fact that through all of this, uh, you know, you get done with this, and this is the perfect build. The 
perfect build into the main event because everybody is bought in now. Mm-hmm. Everybody is ready for it. But, um, you know, it, here we go. We're winding up for the main event. We're winding up for war games. And it is, if I was going to have complaints about this, um, the only complaint I w- actually would have would be about the structure itself because it feels like the ceiling is too low and not quite sturdy enough. Um, but that's all I could come up with. That is, that's the only complaint I could come up with at all. Like there's, there's nothing else that I'm going to be able to say that, that, you know, would hold any, any water in terms of complaints. Like it is just, good Lord. It is staggering in how good this is. I know I'm gushing a lot right now. (laughs) I, I personally think that the main event is there's a strong argument that and, and Brad can make this, but it's strong argument that this is the best one of the best. Certainly, I think it's one of the best WCW matches of the 90s. Mm-hmm. It might be one of the best of all time. I, I personally think it's the best war games match of all time. I'm trying yeah. to think like uh, uh, the the Eddie Ray Mysterio match from the late 90s. That might be a better match. Oh, that Halloween Havoc? Yes. Overall, it might be better, but it's tough. Like, I'd have to watch it again to see. You also have to take the... Like, we've got to look at the context that goes around them, too, for the full picture of the match. But, like, that one is is spectacularly good. Mm-hmm. It is... I mean, it is so... I mean, it's it's Eddie Guerrero healing it up in a not like we can wink at the camera way like he did in, in WWE and it's Rey Mysterio in one of the most healthy portions of his career. And so it's, it is technically it is spectacular and you've got a very clear good versus evil thing going, but this has so many moving parts that all do the right thing. And the, the just visceral violence and everybody that's involved has the right role to play. And Mm -hmm. there is not a hair out of place in the whole thing. Um, so to speak, it it is, mm, it is really, really, uh, really hitting it. Um, God, it's good. It's so just to start things off, we've got here we go. We've got Sting Squadron, which uh, we've got the Dangerous Alliance. So you've got Heyman and Medusa, and then I'm gonna do I'm gonna run down the list and I'm gonna screw it up because I'm trying really hard not to screw it up. Um, <laughs> Rude, Austin, Eaton, Zabisco. Damn it, there it went. Uh, and Anderson, Arn Anderson, and then. You had Sting Squadron, which is obviously it's Sting, Dustin Rhodes, Barry Windham, Ricky Steamboat, and Nikita Koloff. And the only 
people. The only, the only person in this whole thing that I might even consider giving side eye to and being like, are you, are you going to like, given what we, we have said about this match, look at it and be like, you know, have, are you, have you got this? You know, have you got, are you going to be able to hold up your end in this? Would be Koloff and Koloff does a great job. And so you've got this staggering array of talent Mm -hmm. going out there, and it hits on every cylinder there is. Um, I think Brad was talking about the uh, – even the order they went in um, when they entered the match. Like they do the coin flip at the beginning, and um, – The heels always win the coin flip. Is it Pee Wee Anderson who's doing the coin flip? Is that – am I remembering that name right? Uh, I don't remember the, the ref? ref. Okay. He's big nose, mustache, and mullet. Um, I think it's Pee Wee Anderson. It might be, yeah. He weirds me out because he does the coin flip, and then he slaps the, the coin down all the way up on his forearm. And I'm like, did you miss? <laughs> and then he picks it up and goes, Tails, you win. Like, he, he knows full on. He's like, no, no, no. I know who's supposed to get this, so I'm just going straight to it. We're not messing. Um but that that was like between that and the ceiling on the cage, like those are the only complaints I could come up with. Yeah, because um, Austin got his head spiked on it when Dustin. Yeah. Did something. Yeah, not not ideal. I don't know why they didn't learn their lesson because Pillman got hurt the year before. I don't know. Because um, the year before is when Sid did the powerbomb and he smacked his head on the... Oh my gosh, that was so hard to watch. And all they needed was like a foot. Yeah, yeah. And for it not to sag. Because it, it it had some sag to it. Yeah. Um. But anyway, go ahead, Brad. I'm... I'm stumbling over trying to get everything out in one go well and there's a lot of like there's a lot of down to the work stuff they did smart like when 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 it was about a minute until someone came in they kind of spread out so they could come in um i think starting with Wyndham on the face side was really smart Mm -hmm. um dustin even at this point in his career like I know it was like a flurry of offense because he's shining, but it shows like even then his comebacks and like timing and like when he had to flurry on offense, like he just he just does it so well. Yeah. Um, Steamboat's Steamboat stuff was really good. I liked how Rude cheated a lot. Like if Rude was trying to get a guy, he didn't he would he would go for the eyes just as much as like a punch. (laughs) Mm hmm. I like the psychology in this because it's basically this this was like a true war. Like the guys weren't in there. Oh, let me come in here and do like all of my signature moves. It's like, no, like they went in there and it's like, okay, the goal is to like beat the shit out of each opponent. Yeah. And beat a guy, beat guys down, bloody them, of which I think almost everyone was. And they had, I mean, Austin juiced in like the first two minutes because that's why the, so this is, this is the perfect example of why, um cage like um chain link is better than the stupid wwe thing is like when you just take a guy's face and just like start grinding him against the side of it like Wyndham did to austin mm-hmm. yeah 
And I mean, Dustin was bleeding like a stuck pig. Yeah. Dustin, Dustin wears blood on his face very well. And there is like there's just blood everywhere on the ring by the end of it. Oh, yeah, it is everywhere. It is. I like everybody who is in this match has an important role to play. And I love that because, um, you know, Heyman's obviously doing his thing on the outside. All the guys in the ring have something. Medusa has an important role to play because she gets climbs up there because she's the only one that you can be sure is light enough to make it across the top of that saggy ring top. You're not going to get Paul to fucking climb a cage on his best day. (laughs) No, you're not. And they get, she gets up there and then drops the phone in as a weapon. I thought that was really clever. Yeah, I I really liked that because it's obvious, you know, he's obviously going to want to use it. They use it all the time, but you can't shove it through the chain link. How are you going to get it in there? And the refs can't, the refs can't fucking do anything because she got up on the top. Yeah. You can't you can't reach her up there. Yeah. See, so, yeah, what are you gonna do? Stop her? It's already done. Now, what I really liked, um, I was shocked actually that Nikita was good in this. Uh, that really shocked me. But his stare down with Sting, and then like he makes the dramatic, he pushes Sting out of the way and takes like the the hit for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. That that was. That was almost like the culmination of stuff. The sad thing is, like, Koloff's, like, in-ring wasn't much beyond this. This was, like, like he, the peak of his return. Yeah. Like, he 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 didn't do a ton of stuff in the business, like, after this. Yeah. I, th- I thought, like, I thought um, breaking the, the top ring rope and the one ring, like, just sold the chaos so much better. Because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, there is so much carnage, like, even the rings falling apart. I like the fact that they were just putting dudes in submission holds. They're putting dudes in, like, Boston Crabs and, like, figure fours. And it wasn't like, oh, we're going to win the match this way. Because, obviously, it went, you could only win it once everyone was in. Mm-hmm. But it was just like, okay, we were, like, going to inflict punishment on people. The double crab We're, they did on um, Steamboat was really good. Oh, yeah. That yeah. was good. There was just, yeah. And and um, uh, Zabisco, I think, was was he the one that was taking the, the turnbuckle apart? It was Eaton. It was Eaton doing it? Because okay. remember Ventura just kept being like, oh, no, he's just trying to put the ring back together. <laughs> he's trying to fix it. Yeah. He's like, that's not what's happening here. Brad, I know you felt that the the ring was a little too low. The cage was a little too low. You need about a foot because they were there was some stuff like if they did a suplex and stuff, guys are hitting their feet on it. Um, Dustin tried to do, I think, an atomic drop on Austin and he smacked his head right into the, the top of it. Yeah. yeah, it could have been a little bit taller, but I did think that it allowed the really impressive visual where Sting was basically gorilla press slamming Rude. Yeah. And when he was doing it, he like just kept drilling Rude right into the the top of the cage. Well, I I also liked um Austin and Steamboat both did it where they would they jumped and kind of like got their hands in the the top of the cage so they could do something like off the top rope. Yeah, that's that's also true. It showed some like environmental awareness. Yeah. And now the ending, the ending, I I love the ending on this. Because yeah. if if this was done by almost any other time, it would have been overthought. So the 
the um the ending is they're they're screwing around with the turnbuckles and they get the turnbuckle off so they have like the exposed like the part that the turnbuckle like goes into the ring i don't know what they call that you've basically got the hook and and the the hook that connects to the ring post that screws in with the turnbuckle itself that where the ropes thread through so i guess it's quote unquote the turnbuckle proper because it's okay. the turny it's the turny part <laughs> <laughs> so so Zabisco and and Bobby are in the one ring and Zabisco is just like, hey, Bobby, like grab Sting. And we're going to I'm going to smack him with this. Mm-hmm. And so he goes to do it. Sting dodges. He smacks Eaton right in the arm with it. Like Sting hits him. And then this is where it gets brilliant. Sting goes right to that arm, arm bars him and Bobby taps or yeah. mm-hmm. Bobby submits. And um I was like, that is the per- that is the perfect way you would do this because the low man on the totem pole lost. The guy that was on the outs, kind of on the outs of the group, screwed up big time and cost them the match. But then the top guy on the other team is the guy that got the win. Like it just, it was perfect mm-hmm. in every aspect of how they did the end. Mhm. And it was a face taking advantage of something without being a heel about it. No, and he wasn't dumb either. He was just yeah. like, he was just like, oh, I'm going to take you out. Oh, he hit you in the arm. Okay, arm bar. I, it feels like that over the years, it's one thing that we can say consistently is despite the the stigma that went on with it, there's lots of cases of Sting not being stupid in the ring. Like, yeah, okay, he shouldn't have trusted Luger as often as he did, but he's not being, you know, he's not being, Sting is not stupid, despite what the, the meme is. He's not stupid you know? entering, he's just been done with who he trusted, and yeah, for storyline purposes. There it is. That's that, that was what I was trying to articulate. But this was, so, I was thinking about it, I'm like, you know, I could legitimately argue this is the best wcw match of all time just from all aspects of it like the in-ring work is really good um this is pure like wcw and the fact that there's like blood you know it has that gritty grimy feel to it um it's everything that wwe is not oh yeah it's no like slick production values that you know it's it's screen tested almost like you're doing like the right before a movie gets released it's like it's it's very gritty like i when i watched this main event i watched the the main event the war games match today and after i watched i'm like you know god damn this this was like very memphis to me it's like it's just violent it's chaotic guys are going for the kill like there's no like there is no screwing around they are out for blood no Mm -hmm. it's just it's just a chaotic violent hate yes it's hate and it's like that's that was i say it's memphis i guess it is it's like old school southern style where it's It's, like i would say i would i would argue this is wrestling distilled down into its purest form yeah because look there's lots of different type of wrestling i mean i i can enjoy aew where two of like the the more popular characters even though then they're not like getting the world title but two of the more popular characters are orange cassidy yeah uh and dan Housen. so it's like 
there's lots of different types of wrestling and there's certainly like a place for comedy and comedy style gimmicks in it. So it's like, it doesn't, everything doesn't have to be like chaotic violence, but I, I did like, um, I did like Hangman page beating Moxley. Cause he essentially hung him with a chain over the top oh rope. God, that match I, was, I still need to see that, but that's, that's another example. It's like, this is really when you drill it down, it's like, it should be like two guys beating each other. And it's like, if they can win through wrestling, great. But sometimes it's like you need to kick up the violence a little more. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Hawkins, who uh, who does stuff like he a podcast too. Uh, we we follow each other on Twitter. I've met him before. Jeff is a really a uh, funny, uh, great guy. Uh, but he's he said this back in the day about uh, not back in the day, like a, like a few weeks ago. Uh, regarding some of the violent stuff like he's like yeah this is like what wrestling should be it's like it should be about hate <laughs> it's like yes <laughs> sometimes it is yeah oh speaking of shout outs um matt and i both listened to them for the first time recently matt actually turned me on to them but the guys on the flagship podcast okay mm. um i've listened to a couple of their episodes they go long but they are very insightful and um do a good show okay yeah i usually Honestly, I usually listen to podcasts when I'm working and I'm on a leave because uh, we just had a kid. So I'm not listening to as much uh, podcast stuff, but they did one in the last couple of weeks, which may be the one you listen to, Brad. But they did one a couple of weeks ago, uh, in the last couple of weeks, just after the Elimination Chamber, uh, like we did. And we did a podcast on that, but they were talking at. I forget which episode it was, but it was like they began like the 54 minute mark talking about Roman Reigns and just were burying the guy. Well, I, I like that I, one because they um, they were talking about what a fucking clown Ariel Hawani is. Oh, yeah, he is. He's a fraud. But yeah, so talking about like Roman, it's like because they're at this point, it's like the WWE diehards like that's who's left. And they're like, oh, my God just dominant brilliant run and it's like they are pointing out on the that flagship podcast it's like compare him to bruno like that's what they want to try to do right they want to yeah give him potentially like a thousand day reign like dominant champion it's like no look at roman and they, they listed off roman like sorry uh bruno bruno like bruno just in madison square garden yeah was up against like I think like twenty six like Hall of Famers like he that's the like the, the matches he would have at at MSG and like that's just MSG it's not as if he like only faced jobbers everywhere else. Well, and, I mean there were even guys that people haven't talked about like <clears throat> Waldo von Erich who was a big deal but not necessarily like a Hall of Famer. But it, the point is like with Roman and not the rabbit hole that again it's like he's you, you, oh he's dominant it's like no. Like every match, he he wins because of like bullshit. The Usos uh, cheat, and yeah. so he wins, or something like that. Like it's something to that effect, and it's like okay, that's not you're not like dominant champion if every match like you cheat to win. It's not even like he's not even presented like Ric Flair back in the day, because like oh if Ric Flair cheated to win or the Horseman helped him win a match, it's like you may get pissed off, but you're just like oh well. It's okay. You're not like, oh, Ric Flair, dominant champion, in the sense that he's beating people. He's like using bullshit to win. It's like he escaped, not he's. But, but he, his whole gimmick, part of his whole gimmick is like, oh, I'm Ric Flair. I'm the dirtiest player in the game. Yeah. yeah. He would acknowledge and embrace the fact, like, oh, yeah, I do cheat. 
Like I'm I'm an asshole, but yeah. I'm still champ. With Roman, it's like, oh no, dominant champion. It's like, no, he's not nope. dominant. Nope. Dominant people actually go out there and win without having to like cheat and do bullshit to win. Mm-hmm. But that's a good podcast. <laughs> yeah. Good pod. Long story yeah. short, that's a good podcast too. So this was um this was a tale of like two pay per views for me, like one of horrible mediocrity and one of pure awesomeness. So mm-hmm. um so let's go do our thumbs up, thumbs down. I'll start us off, I guess. Um I'm going to give this a thumbs up purely for the last three matches. If you ever watch this, just skip ahead to Tom Zink and Brian Pillman and go from there. But um, the last two matches, especially like you will be hard pressed to find better on any pay-per-view in the nineties. I would give this a thumbs up too. I would agree with you that it's like you can avoid everything until the Tom Zink match. Uh, the zinc pillman match like and those last three matches uh, are just amazing and this is at a side but it's kind of why i mean we are living in a golden age of wrestling because it's like you could probably see and on the aggregate a better card top to bottom on like a, an average dynamite now an average dynamite won't have a match as good as this war games match but you would have like overall like good to great matches like in every dynamite and it's certainly every every month you're gonna have like amazing wrestling between aew like new japan and other promotions uh and i don't necessarily agree with Meltzer like rating everything so highly Mm -hmm. because i've talked about this in the past it's like you look at like our like an average dynamite and you may have like five six matches and Meltzer will rate like like all of them, like three and a half to five stars. Like, it, and it's like, well, they may be that good technically, but it's like, are really all of them that good? Like, and once if they are that good, are they that special? Do you need to becomes... rethink your star rating system to push like things back into alignment? Yeah, because I'm bringing that up because like back in the day, especially like if you didn't watch this live, you didn't get this on tape, if you were like in the 90s, like, or even like in the early 2000s, like you're getting into like tape trading. Mm-hmm. Like this was a show that it's like, oh, you got to get this show on tape. And it's like, why? It's like, because the the, the main event is like so great. The show is so great. And it's like really like 30, 66% of the show is not great. 33% is good. But back in the day, it's like that 33%, it's like, that's good enough. Like you should have this on tape because like this match is like awesome. Yeah. main event and the other the other two matches that we've talked about like are really really good so you should get it and it's like that's true it's like but that's what i'm saying like that that's all it took to become a legendary pay-per-view yeah yeah a legendary show and i think it i think it deserves that because i think that this is the best war games match of all time but it's also like you had three three matches out of like nine that you could say are good to great uh or even like perfect and that wasn't the case for much of like the nineties. Whereas nowadays like everything is like, Oh, everything's like four stars and up. It's like, uh, I mean, yes, kind of maybe, but I don't know. I think you're right. Like it, it needs a little bit of like a realignment. Yeah. Because I think like if, if 80% of like what we're rating now is 
three stars and up. Maybe like the three and a half star match should become the new two and a half star match. I think that the scale probably needs re-examination because if the technical aspect is that much better all around, then I think that it should be weighted less. You know, that you have, you know, you're if we're grading on the curve and this is just better across the board, then I think that it should be worth less in the rating, um, if that makes any sense. And, yeah, like, it can be really, really good, but unless there's something that makes it special. Unless there's a story behind it or a gimmick or, or like, you know, unless there's something that makes it special. Look, I don't I don't want it five starred. I don't care how technically good it is. I don't care how many particular flips are in it, Dave. Um, uh, there's a there's another good uh, revolution callback is uh, MJF does something and then looks in the camera and goes that going to cost me a star, Dave, you know. <laughs> I actually I laughed so hard when he did that. I actually wish I could get him to reply because I want to ask him if if the '92 uh, War Games is the best WCW match in his opinion. I'd I'd be really curious to hear what he says. I'm kind of one thing that kind of frustrates me is that like I, I personally feel and now again we don't really like snowflake on this show like sometimes we do just to emphasize like this match is like a great match we we talk Damn. about it more when things start pushing into like well either if we really like it and we're trying to gauge or we're like things are starting yeah. to push above like four and a fourth is usually yeah. when we start talking about it or if we think something is potentially five right we, but we're not like sticklers and it's like it, there is a certain degree of like personal preference to this mm-hmm. uh, i think that when we say like oh this is like a five-star match it's like because we're trying not we're not really getting to a debate we're trying to qualify uh, for people. Yes. It's like not necessarily like a hard and fast debate. Like, is this five stars? It's like, no, we're trying to emphasize like this match is legitimately like an all time great match. And like, mm-hmm. you should go out of your way to see it. Uh, but I don't think that generally, I don't think matches should be more than five stars. I think five stars should be the limit. Yeah. If there's like a hundred matches that, you know, you see that are like five stars, like that's fine. You don't need to like be like, oh no, this is actually like a seven star match. But the thing that I do find annoying about Meltzer is like once he broke that, and it's like he's rating like IWGP matches like, you know, plus five, like six, seven star matches, whatever like that. And people started calling Matt on that. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well actually there was this flare steamboat match from 89 that was never on air. It was like, like you could see it like handheld video like that's a six star match it's like come the fuck on like come on yeah like that don't try to like throw out shit like that to be like oh and actually i've been all i've always been rating matches like above five it's like no 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 you on. haven't now no, i will say you haven't i will say something in defense of melter the people that accuse him of like bias for aew <clears throat> don't have never read his stuff because if you go back all the way to the 80s you can see the you can see how AEW is like the evolution of his preferences. Yes, it's a company that has 
more of what Dave likes in it. Yeah, and and you have to also understand about Dave is Dave grew up in California. Like wrestling to Dave was Ray Ray Stevens in the Cow Palace in San Francisco doing work ratey stuff. Like so he yeah. he grew up in like a work rate promotion. Yeah. So. So that like, does not mean that he is on their payroll. It just means that they do stuff he tends to like more. Yeah, and if you go back to like the eighties and stuff, and like read like his reviews of like NWA stuff, like you can see like where why he likes AEW and like yeah. why he liked PWG because that's like the natural evolution. You know, like it's it's the reason why. Um, I don't agree with him on Will Osprey and like the flippy stuff. But Dave and I generally jive as far as, like, what we're drawn to. Yeah. And it's like, if you go back, I can see why he and I, like, he and I have, like, the same kind of progression of it. It's like, and I think, I think Matt and you are probably, like, a little similar in that regard, where it's like, oh, yeah, like, he kind of. I I get where he's coming from and why he likes stuff, but I do not have as soft a spot for the flippy shit. Yeah. Um, and I think part of that is what we talked about last episode is it seems like that there are too many people wherein that becomes the point. I don't have a problem with it. I have a problem with when someone uses the style to be the gimmick itself. It's like, if, if the only thing you have is like, I'm a hardcore guy, it's like, then you don't really, then I'm not interested because that you're telling me that's the only thing you're capable of doing. I, I mean, I will say like flippy shit, but it's not that I actually really am bothered by that style. I'm more of like, I don't like the whole like needlessly performative like style. And I've, I've said this before in the show. It's like even some place, someone like ricochet back in the day would annoy mm-hmm. me. Cause it's like, let me do a met, let me do a move that I'm gonna add like a bunch of like dramatic poses and everything like that. It's like okay, I, I don't need that. See, like, Ricochet, I know Ricochet mm-hmm. doesn't bother me for some guys because Ricochet, well, is a freak, but Ricochet has charisma. Mm-hmm. So like when Ricochet does that stuff, like he's doing it with like a certain flair and charisma, and he's like, look at me, like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Mister Badass, like look at me do all this stuff, like they, like. What I have a problem with is, like, I'm going to use an old, like, antiquated phrase, but, like, uh-huh. it's vanilla midgets doing, like, flippy shit. Like, Will Ospreay that does it with, like, no personality or flair whatsoever. Like, if you want to do flippy shit and you want to, like, throw your personality in there and stuff, like, I, I am more than fine with that. But with Will Ospreay, the flippy shit is pretty much his entire gimmick. Yeah, and I have a problem with, like... Where I where I have a problem with it, it's where Will Osprey comes in, is like, if you want to do your flippy stuff, but like you know you do all the basics, normal and stuff, but it's when you're like, oh I can't do a vertical suplex, I have to do like a 360 flipping like vertical suplex because that's all I can do. Like that's where I get annoyed with that stuff. It's like where you can't like where every move has to be like some variation of something and you can't do like anything just bog standard is where as, it um, drives me nuts. As uh, <clears throat> uh, Mike Nelson has said on uh, his podcast, 278 pages, 
when you gild the lily too much, nobody's looking at the lily anymore. Are you still pissed off at me for recommending that podcast? I listened to the first, like the first series that they did. And then after that, I could not bring myself to go into any of the others because they found worse stuff. And I was just like, oh, God. Oh, God. I can't. When I tried to like it was bad enough. I tried to start Super Constitution. And I got like two thirds of the way through the first episode. And I'm like, I can't do this. That's the you know, what's funny is that that podcast is brutal, how they pick apart. Oh, God, yes. They are mean as hell. Well, they're writers, too, though, so they, like, they like tell you, like, technically, like, why, like, Ready Player One is terrible, like, because they just read stuff straight and tell you, like, sometimes they don't even, like, comment on it. They just read stuff. Like, let yeah. me read you this, and Ready Player One was just, I don't know oh. how anyone liked that book. Because they ferried goods and services into the city. Like, uh, what? Never, never says what. I'm pretty sure that friend of the show, Damian Gonzalez, like back in the day, liked that book. Kajit has wares if you have coin. <laughs> the, problem, the problem with that, with the problem with that book, I, uh, I never read the book. I saw the movie, which was like, fine, but it's also a movie that like came out years ago, and it's like I, if you ask me like to tell you the plot of that, I could, I could probably muddle my way through it, but it's like it has not really left any sort of impression upon me. The book, like, like I, the book is, I haven't read the book. I've I listened to them talk about it and read excerpts of the book and any excerpt they've read, like just is douche chill inducing. Like I recommended this podcast to Shad on the side. And I think Shad got like into the third episode of Ready Player One. And he's like, Brad, I hate you. <laughs> like you said, like you were in the car and like you were almost yelling at something like that was written in that book. Yes. There are phrases. The fact that every blessed thing that happens in this book is like, Oh, it's about 80s pop culture and video games, and they say it over and over and oh, like it, there's never a chance that goes by where they don't bring it's, up that it references that. It seems like it's Member Berries, the movie. It is, yeah. The book. It, it's like, oh, you remember like this? Yeah. From the 80s. It's like, yeah, I do. Like, I don't. I remember that. Like, I don't need a whole like book or sh- movie or anything about it. And the main character. Like from what I remember of this podcast, and we are getting really far afield, but God, <laughs> I'm doing it anyway. I don't care. Is such an unlikable dick. He is, and he is such like he claims he has memorized everything. He's like, I memorized all the episodes of the Jeffersons, and it's like with everything else you claim you've memorized, what? When do you <laughs> like anything? It's not physically possible. But he's like, no, I've played Joust so much that I know exactly the right way to do it. And it's like, there's not one, okay? Joust doesn't work that way. But no, this guy figured it out. You know why? Because he's a Marty Stew. And he's also, he's like, you shouldn't be superficial, but he's attracted to this one girl because he's like, oh, she's hot in a way that appeals specifically to me. I think we could have a future together. And it's like, was there no fucking editor for that book? I know. Oh my god! It's like I think you... Mike Nelson said the editor shot himself. Oh, I would have. It's like when it's like um, it reminded me if you ever like tried to read an Anne Rice novel who thought it was a bragging point to not have an editor, and if you read like Interview with a Vampire, like 
I think literally at one point there was a paragraph that went on for 10 pages. Uh, see, because I remember there was a point like because I read it just out of interest once. And there's a point it's like, well, I'll get through this paragraph and then I'll read. I'll, I'll quit for the day. Yeah. And I think it took me a half hour to get to that stopping point. So. I, you know, look, I, I know I am like so super amateur on it, but. Um, I will, you always need an editor because it's really too easy to get too far into your own head on your writing and you know, the beats and you know how the stuff ties together. But when you do that and you know, all that sort of stuff, that means that you don't fill blanks in that the reader needs filled in because you know what it is, so you don't see the blank. Or you um, you pull a Robert Jordan and you get stuck in the minutia for a book, and then your fan base gets pissed off at you, and you have to go, oh, I'm sorry, guys, I won't do that again, and then but he, okay. write a better book. To his credit, he said he said outright, he's like, that didn't work. I shouldn't have done that, but you know, I had a deadline, and I pushed it out, and I should not have done that. Like no, He I mean, admitted he it. He owned it. Well, I mean, he listened, but I mean, that that's also what can happen. But I mean, he was also smart enough to be like, oh, they didn't like that. I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah, he publicly said that was an experiment that didn't work and I won't do it again. Good stuff. And it's <laughs> not like it's not like that. That book is the worst one in the series, but it's also not like taking a nosedive in quality necessarily. It's just in the era where we're waiting. We're waiting like three, four years between books and that's what we get, then yeah, you're going to be real pissed. But if you just sit down and like burn straight through them, then it's not so bad. And you're like, oh, there's some good character stuff in here. Well, I think that one, that one was like the second book off of a lull. And I think that was also when it was getting, his releases were getting a little spottier because his health was starting to um, decline a bit. Yeah. Um, it, it's. Because I think he only did. He only did one or two more books after that one before he died. Uh, let me see. I'm going to – Unless the prequel was after that, then he might have done three, but I think the prequel came before that. Uh, I am pulling it up right now because I, I – now that you've said this, I have to look. So that was – that was Crossroads of Twilight. He wrote Knife of Dreams, and then he had written Gathering Storm, Towers of Midnight, and Memory of Light – was meant to be one book. And so he had written like parts of all of that. Cause I'm pretty sure new spring came out before crossroads of twilight. I think so. I think that's why, I, um, wait, I think that's dates. I think look. that's why the crossroads of twilight stung the fans a little worse. No, um, uh, I'm, I'm wrong. Um, new spring came out after crossroads of twilight. Okay, So he did two books after he did two books and they are regarded very well. But yeah, you need an editor to make sure that you don't get too far into your own head. And he, he the other thing he did, um, and this is a small complaint. I'm not, I'm not trying to crap on him. It's one thing also an editor helps with, like he really lost the plot on Trollocs that they were walking abominations, and it took Brandon Sanderson taking over the series to really like smack you upside the head and say, hey, remember these things? Like they're not just like orc stand-ins. They're, they're horrible. I'm uh I'm working my way through the first book. I mm -hmm. haven't read I haven't read the series like 
the other guys. Uh, and I'm not even like. You're like a hundred pages uh, in, aren't you? I may no, I'm I'm like 150 or so. Like I'm oh, not. Okay. It might I might be like a fourth of the way through. I'm not sure, but so far they are not really. He's not really like presenting Trollocs that way. Trollocs seem like a stand-in for orcs, but Trollocs also just seem like beastmen. Mm-hmm. So they they don't seem. They seem just like bad guy mooks. That makes sense. They are they are like the thing that oh god I don't know how much to say. They are ferocious and awful and horrendous and huge, but they are also um, lazy. And so you have this this mixture of this animal ferocity and. Uh, if you can call it this cannibalism, because they'll eat They're, whatever they can get their hands on. But then you also like the characters end up getting used to them. And so when you get into the last battle, you've got to reintroduce how terrifying they are for people who haven't been killing them for 10 They're kind of like when, you know, in, in Lord of the Rings, when Saruman was making the orc high, like and they were like his like walking science experiments. They're kind of like the rejects that were too terrible and unusable that he probably just like kick no. that off into the desert no that's that's not what it was okay okay uh it was agonor agonor was one of the forsaken in the age of legends agonor was a brilliant um biologist basically and so but he had no military or combat experience at all so he started splicing things together and said oh this would be the perfect soldier and yeah, they're big and strong and scary and ferocious, but they're lazy and you know it. Like they are, they were built by a guy building the perfect soldier who didn't know what soldiers actually. Needed. They're kind of fucking cowardly too, when you think yeah. about it, because there's a lot of parts where like, and they're they dumb. Do, yeah, it, like they like they would not be doing shit if like a Merdral wasn't like the yeah. worst thing in the room, like making them do stuff. Is that yeah. how you pronounce that? Merdral. Merdral. Okay. Yeah. Merdral. Yes. Again, only like a, a bit into the initial it's, book. It's, it's all good, man. Yeah. They seem like, uh, the Merdral. I, maybe I've been reading TV tropes too much. <laughs> the, the Merdral seem just like, okay, well, these are elite mooks. No, kind of. I, they're, um, they're kind of like, let's see for comparison captains they're kind of like a a dumbed down ring wraith that you can take out if you're really lucky but they're not as like strong as a ring wraith so they're so the trollocs are like human animal hybrids Mm -hmm. and the way that it's it's enumerated is sometimes you get a an off a trolloc offspring that's a throwback to the animal side and it just dies but then you get a throwback that's on the human side and you get the Merdral and even Agonor didn't know why. And then here's the really, the really weird thing is that they appear at about the same rate that humans who can channel are born. (laughs) But, um, they're just like, Agonor didn't know why they showed up. They just did. They're kind of like, if, if you're playing a game, they're kind of like elite, um, bad guys. Yeah, they're they're elite mooks, but they're they're field captains. Yeah, but they don't. They're, I mean, 
takes a long time for them to actually reliably kill them. Yeah. It, well, it is, it is the, not. The wolves can, the wolves can gang like kill them. But the, most of them will die doing it. And that's, it, it, you're, you're quite a ways in there before someone is like, oh no, I can, you know, they're not worried about killing. Yeah. One. The wolves like pretty much have to get them on the ground and pretty much literally just kind of like pull them apart and yeah. blow them up. Yeah. So without going, without going too deep into it. No, I don't, I don't even um, think like, I don't even think like by like even a couple books in like people can't reliably do anything about them. No, it's, it's, it's at least book for Rand. It's book three for Perrin. It's, it's not even reliable, but Perrin can do it in book four, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but they're about the only two. Matt doesn't get into that much. Matt's not really a fighter, honestly. He, 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 he's he's more of the rogue. So. Yeah. Anyway, we got way far afield at the end of this. <laughs> yeah. um, I do want to mention one thing before we leave. Um, I watched the first episode of Ring of Honor TV last week. Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, actually, I enjoyed it more than I've enjoyed Dynamite in a long time. Uh I think they still have it where you can, if you do like a year of Ring of Honor, isn't it like discounted? I think because so. I believe it, I believe it's like ten dollars a, a month. So in a year that'd be one hundred twenty bucks. But I think it still is that if you do a year long subscription, it's like a hundred bucks. Yeah, I think which so. is not expensive. But so my wife and I are like, like we've redone our finances. Like we're gonna try to get our credit card debt down. <laughs> um, so it might not be like this month but i probably am gonna try i i'm thinking about doing like the the year-long thing but it had it had it was a good show it had um josh woods versus uh takashita was really good that was just a good old-fashioned like hoss fight mm. and then claudio versus ar fox was really good and then zach saber jr and was it blake christensen i think it was was pretty good and then the opener with um slim J and mark briscoe was was there was a lot of good stuff about that because it was like two of like the early ROH guys. Um, I liked it a lot. It looked really good. They were doing it in Orlando. And if you're thinking like, oh, it's just going to be AEW light, it really had its own flavor as mm-hmm. a promotion. So um, I, I I quite liked it, and I think it's worth checking out if you want to check out something new. All right. Oh, and well, it has Joe versus um. Oh crap! Who is it this week? I was really excited about it too. Oh, it's Joe versus Samoa Joe versus Tony Deppen is this week. Okay. Okay. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us for this episode. Um, Wrestle War '92. It, it <laughs> the back half is it makes the front half worth it. And so, um, we would love to hear from you guys on social media if you've got requests send them to us um we'll get to them uh any other parting thoughts guys Mm -mm. this is again i've said it several times now but i do think this is the best war games match uh it's definitely worth going out of your time it's 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 just about perfectly booked Mm -hmm. uh and it is just like the last three matches are, are at least good to possibly perfect like they are fantastic matches Yes. Yes, they are. They're excellent. So everybody, thank you. Um, 
thanks to everybody for listening to this episode. Uh, we've got other stuff coming down the pike, but I don't think we've got everything settled yet. So look forward to something next time. We'll see what it is. This is Shad with Matt and Brad. We've been in three quarters. You're in the fourth, and we'll catch you next time.